welcome to the ECE Quality Ireland podcast. I'm Celine Govern. And I'm Paula Walsh. And today we're delighted to be joined by Lewis Fogarty. And Lewis, you have so many different hats on at the moment. You're a lecturer in Brunel University on the Masters in Education program, I think. You're also an early years provider. Um, you're undertaking your PhD at the moment. And you're also involved in a professional development organisation for early years in the UK, Tactic. So you're a busy man. But what we would like to maybe ask you a little bit about first is if you could just talk to us a little bit about, you know, your role in, in early years, you know, uh, how you got into early years and what you do in really in, in the early years sector. Mm, yeah, sure. No, thank you. Pleased to be here. And I think the most important thing to come that came to my mind with that question was that my love and passion for the sector has been growing exponentially um, over the past five years, let's say. So a relatively short amount of time. And prior to that, if you'd have said to me now that I'd be doing what I'm doing in terms of my engagement with early years, I probably wouldn't have believed you because I hadn't actually given it as much thought as I realized it needed until I started to get into it. And once my toe was in, the whole foot was, and then I'm submerged, you know, before I knew it, there I am. And it really started from working for a holiday club and after school club uh, in my undergraduate years and working for a wonderful company, a husband and wife duo that ran a group of 10 nurseries in England, uh, ran a group of 10 nurseries in England, and they took me under their wing and really developed me. Um, and it came a point where I was ready to go off on my own. And they supported me to start my own holiday club and after school club. And then from there, it developed into a nursery. We made the decision in 2019. So again, relatively recently to start a nursery, uh, me and my business partner, who's also a man. So yeah, two qualified teachers, males running a, a nursery without any children of our own at this point. Uh, so quite a unique combination. And to make it even more unique, we started this nursery on the premises of a secondary school that was an all boy secondary school. So perhaps the most male surrounding nursery that's ever been, who knows, um, but really loved it. And from there, just engaged completely. So now you mentioned my doctorate where I, that's around early years and leadership to where I'm advocating for the sector through talking to people like yourself, the work that PME are doing, the work of Tactic here in the UK, and really just banging that drum saying, hey, the early years sector is wonderful, the people in it are wonderful, and they need to be respected and recognised for that um, for that ability and just, yeah, incredible work they do. Um, so like often when I start talking about early years, I start waffling, I get passionate, and then I just keep talking. But for me, yeah, my love for Ellie has just grown and grown. And having my two little boys, I've got a one-year-old and a two-year-old. And if I needed any more sort of fuel in my fire, they gave it to me by that. Now they're in my nursery. They're in the early years. Mm. Just really brings it all together for me about the importance of this sector. Yeah, that's super interesting. I hadn't realized that, you know, the the nurseries that or the, the early years nurseries that you opened uh, were on the grounds yeah. of the secondary school um that's mm -hmm. really interesting because you know i know you're obviously a man in the sector there's a you know in ireland here we know that there's very few men in the sector and it's it's a gap it's a definite gap you know because i think children really need you know both male and female role models and that representation thing is really important and you know because something i've wondered about before is you know 
how we can bring more males into the sector to you know like and that thing with the secondary school here in Ireland we have like in fourth year um they do like um what's it called transition oh, transition year so they they're teenagers they're, I suppose they're coming up to the time where they're thinking about what they're going to do in life and they go out and do work experience so did you ever have any engagement with the boys in the secondary school in terms of looking at that as a career path or was anybody interested or was there any dynamic there uh, so uh, so there was a point when I was teaching in the secondary school whilst having the nursery open there and I found myself working with the more challenging students shall we say um, and I did used to get them encourage them very strongly to go and read with the children so they would go over in pairs once a week to read and you know prior to it they'd be like no sir I don't want to do that oh no no and they'd always sort of come back and be like yeah I enjoyed that sir but like didn't want to make it too sort of like that was that was great um so that's happening still now we've sort of got it going again where they do um come in and read we've had a lot of people that sort of do a bit of work experience like year 10 in England so 15 14 year olds do a week work experience we've had some come in but the, the schools actually joined with a girls' school as well who do offer child development level twos. And we're in talks about doing T-levels, which is a new thing in England, sort of an apprentice-like thing um, to mm. get people in the sector. So we get people on placement from that. And we are trying to encourage the boys to get involved. But as you can imagine, it isn't easy. Um, yeah. It isn't easy at all. But I, yeah, I keep... Yeah, I keep can it. see... Um, how this would really work. I'm also a secondary school teacher. Now I teach in an all girls school um, and I teach on the LCA program, which is Leaving Cert Applied. So it, it's a it's a Leaving Cert program for, for students who aren't doing standard common Leaving Cert. And one of the subjects is childcare and I teach the childcare on, on that program. And funnily enough, we tend to think about, we have a lot of early year services connected to or attached to the primary school sector but none that I'm aware of connected to or in, on the on the grounds of a secondary school. But I can actually see from from my perspective, teaching Leaving Cert to second level, I can see how it would work incredibly well mm. and how that crossover would really help. I can also see as we talk about professionalism and the professionalization of the sector, how having more early years services connected to the 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 national you know primary school or secondary school buildings or in there you know will help that professionalization because we're struggling with that Lewis aren't we or do you feel that in the early years sector that we're still struggling with that professionalization that we don't struggle with as secondary school teachers absolutely I was just coming from a conversation before speaking to you today with a, a chaplain in the higher education industry and we were talking about this point about care and he's spoken about how senior members of staff in universities talk about care as almost a derogatory thing. And whilst we hold on to that term, and I think we should hold on to that term as part of our professional identity, I think it does, because of the perception of what care is, work against us. Um, but I advocate for value in both education and care from nursery through to higher education. Mm. Um, so abso absolutely, we struggle with that. But to the point about on secondary schools as well, I think two practical things it helps with that generally speaking, secondary schools have more space than primary schools. And yeah. also we've actually supported the staff of um, the, the school to, for example, have a discount. We call it a teacher for teachers package. So then um, working mothers and fathers can be closer to their children as they be on the site, the same as them when they're going back to work, encourage them back to work. 
um, in, in a supportive environment. The teachers of the school see how well the nursery teachers do their jobs. Um, and I think it does sort of create a sense of yeah togetherness that wouldn't be possible if we were sort of siloed apart like we typically are, uh, yeah. you know, in England as well as Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's something then just leading on from the professional, you know, sort of um, not recognition, but, you know, you spoke about uh, you were at the PME conference, which is Professional Educators and Managers Ireland. They're the the, the professional body for early years and school age childcare in Ireland here. And you came over and spoke at our conference recently and you were talking about a really interesting topic, professional competence. Mm. You know, because we talk about leadership and, you know, I think leadership is one of those things that not everybody, people yeah. can shy away from it. You know, they can worry that uh, I don't have those skills or I don't see myself as a leader. So I would imagine that the whole professional competence area, you know, whether or not you want to see yourself as a leader or not is really important and obviously can then be conducive to, you know, helping people to see themselves as leadership, so as leaders. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that professional confidence, what it is. Yeah. So, uh, so when I think about professional confidence, I like to think about, you know, why, like, why do we need professional confidence first as well? And then obviously what, um, but I think we need this sense of professional confidence because we're part of this education sector, which is the greatest equalizer, you know, amongst social justice issues and, and that sort of thing. But equally, you know, everyone that works in education deserves to be respected, valued, developed and loved in the same way that our students deserve those things too. And I think professional confidence is that gap for me between everyone thinking this and everyone doing this. You know, we I'm sure most people would agree with what I just said there. But then what are we actually doing towards that? And I think often we have these ideas, we have small groups of people that do things, but we need to be courageous to stand up for what it is we believe in, when we see things that aren't right, have the courage to bring people together around those issues and have collective action. And that's the central professional confidence is, is having that awareness of these issues, but then doing something about it, having that shared drive towards improvement together, you know, side by side with people in the sector. And I think for me, one point that I didn't make clear is that I don't have an early years specific qualification. I've got a playwork level five. I've got a QT, I've got QTS qualified teacher status here in England, but for a secondary school. Mm. But what that does is it means that my team know that I need them and their knowledge and their insights. And I've learned so much from them in terms of child development, which was part of my psychology degree. But the practical use and the practical embedding of the early years framework that's come from them. So whilst there is of course a hierarchy in the company and I'm, you know, the director, but it's, we're on the ground together trying to figure out these issues and we're trying to find the courage together to stand up for things. And and they stand up to me and I want that. And then, you know, and I try to stand up for them in, you know, wider national issues and, and things like this. So for me, professional confidence, which I would say I have, I hope a lot of my team have. I know some of them explicitly say it to me, but it gives them their voice. It gives their voice, then belief in their voice. I don't think there's an issue of people not having the knowledge. I think there's more of an issue of people feeling able to use their voice to share that knowledge. And I think professional confidence, if we can really develop that in our teams, then we'll hear the wonderful voices that are in within them already. Um, and I've done what I said I'd do at the beginning again and start rambling on about my thing. So apologies for that. But I hope no, that's, that's been- okay. It's it's super interesting, you know. But and I think you're right. Like the that gap, 
you know, because we can say, you know, oh, we can all be leaders and, you know, you've got the knowledge and, you know, you've done your qualification or whatever. But if you don't have the confidence, then that is a stumbling block. You're dead right. So, like, what do you think needs to be done to instill that? I know you it's it's obviously something that you have embedded in your organization and, and you know, that you're you empower your educators um, but that's not always going to be the case, probably for, I would imagine, an awful lot of people. Um, so, you know, you can have professional confidence and you can have a voice, but somebody also has to be listening and acting upon that too, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, you mentioned there about, you know, conf- that confidence. And of course, we're talking about professional confidence, but I think we have to see confidence as a skill that can be developed. When you meet people that often just say, you know, I'm not a confident person. I would challenge that and say you haven't developed the confidence yet. You know, you're developing that skill still. So I think first of all, it's instilling that belief in people that they can be confident if they work on it. And I talk about, you know, the more you do things that make you uncomfortable, the more comfortable you feel doing uncomfortable things. I mean, even for example, coming on talking to you, I would even say six months ago, I'd feel much less comfortable and confident doing it as I do today. But I do like really try hard to put myself out there and do uncomfortable things more um but i think whilst i don't advocate for a hierarchy i do think the leaders like if there are leaders listening in the formal sense i think it's about recognizing what they can do for their teams in terms of instilling releasing highlighting professional confidence they already have in their teams because i'm sure they could almost map out how confident the individuals are in their teams already professionally and then work with them in an individual basis, because I think we don't have a one size fits all kind of approach that would work for professional confidence. But it is about I, I use four pillars. We talk about reassuring relationships, clear communication, continuous curiosity and enabling environments. Relatively basic things. But if you get the relationship right, you'll understand what makes someone tick. You'll understand what makes gets in their way, what barriers they have. And then you can start to work with them on that. And I would actually I like to think of myself as the um like I'm the person-centered director of always growing and, and what that means is essentially I'm the key worker for my staff and my staff are my key children in that sense and mm. um, have you have key children and key workers yeah. that's yeah so that would make sense to listeners that that's how I see it and I think every company every organization around early years needs to have that sort of mindset when it comes to their team like they put so much care into their children do they put that same level of care and development into their staff? That's a question I would ask myself if I was a a leader now listening to this and thinking about this. Yeah, and I think one of the, I always, um, what you're saying really, really um, uh, comes home to me because it's very much the way I would operate. You know, I've got 10 um, teachers who work for me at the moment. And I always think that a great way for me to assess um how I am performing as their key person I suppose is staff retention Mm. you know it's just it's a really basic tool to use but in terms of I always think you know if you've got a really high turnover of staff constantly you've got to question why that is happening you know and could you be doing something better and you need to engage more and it might be just you know you're you're overpowering you're not allowing people to be that professional person that they are capable of being and that you're overshadowing them just um something that I want and I'm sorry to bring this back to um the the, the horrible conversation about um pay scales and wages but I I don't think we can avoid it 
Um, in terms of professionalization, and I, I suspect it's similar in, in the UK, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. So in Ireland, primary school teachers and secondary school teachers are paid by the Department of Education and they have a very structured pay scale, which is for a primary school teacher, probably double um, what the earlier sectors are, 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 are paid. The earlier sectors are primarily paid by private providers who are funded by the Department of Children. So it's a different department in mm. order to do that. And we're currently in negotiations for a new pay scale. And, you know, it's always the same crack underfunded. We can't give what they want because the government aren't giving it to the providers, et cetera, et cetera. But I wonder how much do you think that the pay scales and the salaries that are being paid to the early years teachers impact that idea of professionalization and how the other sectors view us in mm. terms of professionalization. Just to ask, just to explain a little bit about why I'm asking this. Over over the month of May into June, I attended several secondary school graduations and I I am the chaplain for one of them. And it was a little bit upsetting when somebody stood up and said to the thousand parents standing in front of them, you know, your child started their education journey when they started primary school. Wow. And I was there going, hello, over here in the corner. <laughs> and, you know, I, I went home thinking, what do people think we do? Mm. How have we become so invisible? And how is it that educators, like myself, secondary school educators, like that even educators don't see us as educators? Even though yeah. their children have all come through us, if even educators can't view us as being professional educators, how do we fix that? And that's a very big question, Lewis. I'm not asking for an answer as no. such, but it's it's um it's a mess. Well, I completely agree. There's a disconnect even between people in the education sector mm. uh, and earlier. So, yeah, what chance do we have of people outside the education sector and educate outside the education sector without children? What chance do we have of those people? Uh, but you're absolutely right. We need to talk about pay because it's all good and well. Let's be more professional. Let's have um, standards that we work towards. Let's have teacher registration numbers for earlier. That's all brilliant. But yeah, what about the money? And uh, and absolutely, you know, in, in England, we have the same issue. I'm not sure if the background funding and the kind of government organisations are the same mm. that do it. But equally, yeah, private um, settings set their own pay. Most of them that I've seen don't have pay scales. We only introduced pay scales literally last year, at the end of last year. And in truth, we've only really got the team onto them this year. So it's a really new thing for us. Um, but it, it does at least allow people to see that growth they're going to have with us and trajectory they're going through. Mm. And I think connected to that as well, thinking about people that work in early generally don't work just for the money. You know, obviously, then that's not what you come into it for. But there's other value that we can share with them. For example, CPD, you know, continuous professional development. So I would like everyone in always growing to be engaged with some sort of qualification. But then it comes back to the question, sure, I'll go and work really hard and get my level six or my master's or whatever it is. You're putting me through a smaller level five, whatever it might be. So what? You know, and I think you do reach this wall where you say, I will pay you as much as I absolutely can pay you. And I'm really sorry if I paid you any more, we wouldn't function anymore as, as an organization, as a business. 
Um, and that isn't about me protecting profit margins. That's me protecting sustainability. Mm. I think profit margins in nurseries uh, is a, yeah, it's an interesting thing to consider. I'm not sure what that is from in terms of my business. My focus is obviously in providing a, a salary for me and my business partner and the team and doing all of that whilst providing the best possible quality education and care for the children. And there's always a tension there that we can't escape. Um, and that's a very real tension that unfortunately I think I'm very much an advocate for us being in control of our destiny and making and owning our choices. But I do think with the pay, we do reach a barrier when it comes to the funding just isn't there. When we look at funded hours, there's a mismatch. We can't pay anymore. Yeah. Therefore, there's always going to be a barrier there. Until and, that so, can be- and so therefore that that is feeding into the idea that we're not as professional mm. a sector and i and i would go as far as saying from my experience with my daughter in one of ireland's biggest universities her experience in the university is that as a first year student on the early years stream that they are um how will i say that the people on the primary or the secondary school streams view them differently mm. You know, so it's starting right there, I suppose, you know, right at that level as soon as they go into university. So, yeah, we do have a bit of work to do there. And I don't think it's going to happen in one year. I think it's going to be a long term thing as we maybe maybe it needs to come from within from within us as the earlier sector that we need to raise that bar of professionalization and we need to be demanding to be viewed by society and by other educators as being on par and as good as because we know we are we just have to maybe display that a bit more i think mm, absolutely and i think it's really hard as well because you, people life is very tough particularly at the moment cost of living etc and you do have a lot of people that work in early years that do make that transition to schools in england primary schools for the financial remunerate remuneration yeah. they get from that and it's really hard to you know, stand in someone's way of that when they are presented with an opportunity. You want them to be in early years, but you know you can't match the pay scales that are available in the primary sector for the you know for the early years mm. stage in the primary sector. So it's really tough. It's really tough. And I and I think you know we do everything we can to pay our people as much as we can mm-hmm. and you know, um, and value them as well. I mean, it's all good and well getting paid more in primary schools, but are they valued more? And how much does that count for being respected as a professional in early years by a good organization i hope means more than getting paid slightly more but being respect and valued less mm. respect yeah. yeah but at the same time neither should have to compromise you know the primary school teacher or the or the early years teacher you know it's i it's i nearly feel sometimes and you touched on it earlier that you know we don't come into it for the money like you don't like but at the same time you shouldn't you know there's this feeling isn't there that you're nearly or I feel there is that it's nearly like apologetic about the you know and yeah we're doing a really good job and we care really well and can we get paid please you know like from the government and funding and stuff you know yeah, your words like vocational yeah and, and vocation yeah yeah and it's nearly something still that care and we come back to what you spoke about at the start the care is such an important part of what we do mm. in child's education and care. Um, but it does work against us, doesn't it? Like, you know, just come back to what you said at the start, do you know, that it's something that maybe fun- government funding can hide behind. Actually, you love it. 
don't you? You know, you don't need any more money. <laughs> but at the same yeah. time, and then nearly people in the sector feeling guilty because you're supposed to care so much for the children and not the money, feeling guilty for wanting to get more money. Do you know, it's very t- difficult one, I think, to navigate. Yeah, yeah. I think that speaks to something that came out of my doctoral research around dilemmas of professional confidence for leaders. So, for example, yeah, we need to inspire, nurture and role model passion and creativity but then sometimes that passion and creativity covers over the deeper issues. I, I made the, the joke before that teaching is one of the few professions where you sneak things in to your workplace. And I think, you know, it's so true. And I think early years practitioners and teachers are just brilliant at being so creative of so little. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do, you know, we ask for loose parts to be donated and we make the most of everything we have. But then that covers over the actual underfunding issue. But then similarly, you know, we need to foster togetherness, but then there's challenges with personality issues in a disparate sector that are in competition with each other. Certainly in England, you know, there is a sense of competition for places kind of, you know, trying to steal children, like in, not in a, you know, a literal <laughs> yeah. sense, um, in, in a kind of business sense, uh, when you move on, for example, but then also trying to empower individuals to have a voice. But then if you've got poor initial education, or if you've got, we spoke before about schools that have a hair or care, sort of narrative around next steps you're working against the tide you know against that from against the current from the start so there's definitely dilemmas that we can do ourselves i think that's a really important point to make there's so much more we can do ourselves um in the build-up to hopefully the government making some meaningful changes to funding but we can make it better than it is now ourselves i 100 agree uh yeah advocate for that mentality yeah, I think that's a really important message. And we're we're running out of time, so we'll probably yeah. leave it on that because it is such a an important message that we can, we have to, we've been doing so much, you know, mm. and it sounds within the UK and here, it's, it's quite a similar traje- trajectory. And, you know, I think your message about, you know, to any, you were saying about any leaders and, you know, providers and that who are listening, you know, being able to empower your staff and foster that professional confidence in them, you know, and doing what we can to to lift ourselves up, you know, I think is is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I look forward to strengthening, you know, like you say, we're on a singular similar trajectories, I think, in England and Ireland at the moment with early years. And if we can we're stronger together, you know, and that counts sort of across the Irish Sea as well. We're stronger together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lewis, there's so much more we could have spoken about. And I'm looking at the list and I know we didn't really get to talk about your PhD that much mm. or the or tactic. Um, no. you know, yeah, which is which is a shame. But I know that we're gonna run out of time here on the recording, unfortunately. But it just means we'll just have to get you on and talk and talk yeah. about all this stuff again. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but listen, yeah. thanks a million for talking to us today. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh we did and um um you have a lovely weekend and we'll have to get you on again soon. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you. Thank thanks, you both. Lewis.